Hey guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you for joining your hosts, Tira and Jack, for what is now episode number 79. And today we have another Q&A for you guys. But before we get into the questions, we just wanted to remind you that if you do enjoy these episodes, please remember to repost them onto your Instagram stories. Also, if you are interested in our coaching services, please remember to head over to our website, www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com. You can find the link in the show notes below and any of our Instagram bios as well. Amazing. And what's actually kind of cool is that even though this is episode 79 of our like Q and A's and guest interviews, we actually did the math and figured out that once we post this, we will officially have 100 episodes on the channel because we've got 79 episodes like this. We've got those 10 that I did of, you know, my mini road to 2020 series for my comp prep. And then we've also got our road to 2021 series. So what a milestone 100 episodes for us so awesome ah how exciting but guys let's get cracking so this first question it's pretty much related to nut butters so this girl she buys a large jar of peanut butter right and it's 100 nuts but because it's 100 nuts and it doesn't have anything like emulsifiers in it and stuff right what happens is that the oil from the peanuts, it usually separates to the top and she doesn't like that. So what she does is she pours that oil down the sink. But now, you know, she's fully aware that, hey, if I'm removing a bunch of the oil from this peanut butter, you know, I'm obviously changing the macronutrients within this type of food, especially per serving. So pretty much she's asking, if I remove a bunch of oil from my peanut butter, how am I supposed to track that? (laughs) What a mystery. So Jack, how would you tackle this? (laughs) So yeah, we we experienced the same issue. So... (laughs) And interestingly, Tierra likes to pour it out, whereas I just mix it. <laughs> I don't know, because like, I'm, I'm just like this girl, you know, because if, if there's a bunch of oil on the top, you know, I don't want to mix that in. I'm, I'm going to actually, I didn't even pour it down the sink. I actually gave it to our dog, Sam, and boy, she loved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's okay then. Yeah, but... I get some unsaturated fats into Sam. She's got that silky coat. <laughs> but something that you can try is mixing it and then putting it in the fridge because mm. then it doesn't the it avoids the oils rising up to the top as much oh that's a smart idea but obviously pouring the oil off it's not the end of the world but it will change the macronutrient composition of the food and because oil is the most dense form of fat so obviously there's going to the oil has a much larger concentration of fatty acids compared to something like the actual peanut butter itself. Mm -hmm. So when you're pouring the oil off, it's going to be pouring off a lot more fat than if you were taking out the peanuts, if that makes sense. So yeah, I know I don't, I don't want to say how much fat there is, that is, or even how you can track it, because I think it's really difficult. You you don't really know. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess if you really wanted to do the math, I guess what you could do is you could, you know, find out how much total fat is in your jar of peanut butter. And then what you could do is when you pour it off that oil, you could weigh it and then you could subtract that from the peanut butter total amount of fat. And then like, I don't know, do the math to make your own um, serving sizes. But to be honest, I wouldn't even go to that extent. Like what Mm. I actually do is I just totally estimate. Like if I pour some oil off the top of my peanut butter, right? And then when I scoop out some peanut butter and let's say I scoop out 10 grams, I just track it as eight grams. Mm. Like I just estimate 
and like that's actually it wouldn't actually be that hard what you said because let's say because the tub is 700 grams she Mm -hmm. said and let's say you pour off 50 grams of oil Mm -hmm. then you just look up peanut oil in my fitness pal and probably about 50 grams is like 45 grams of fat Mm -hmm. and then you basically create a new my fitness pal food and then put in the the protein and carbs are going to stay the same pretty much Mm -hmm. let's say the fat is an extra 45 45 grams less and then there you have it. It's, it's a correct entry now. Exactly. Man, you are like a peanut butter loving mathematician. <laughs> but uh, yeah, to be honest, I would say don't stress too much. Enjoy your peanut butter. An extra one or two grams extra, an extra one or two grams less. It's not the end of the world. Everything's going to balance out. But Jack, I've got a question for you. Like, one, do you approve of me pouring off the oil off our peanut butter? <laughs> and also, would you ever do this in prep? Um, I, I don't really care that you pour the oil off. But man, you're like mass gaining right now. You don't need all that Especially peanut oil. Especially that you oil. give it to Sam. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, dogs do love peanut butter. <laughs> and if would I do it in prep? I wouldn't do it in prep for the sake of the calories. Mm-hmm. But I would do it potentially... Because something like that probably would annoy me in prep if it was like runny peanut butter and I want it spreadable. Yeah. Or to be honest, well, to be honest, it would bother me more not being able to hit my numbers. Because I feel like when I'm in prep, I like commit to hitting my macros as best and as most accurately as I can. So either I would just buy it, like I would just probably mix it in, to be honest, and probably use the macros on that thing. Because... Mm. I don't know. In my improvement season, I allow myself a little bit more leeway, but I just really love being super disciplined and as accurate as possible in prep. It just, I don't know, you just enter that headspace. I, I really enjoy it, to mm. be honest. I, I also used this peanut butter once where it was, it was 100% peanuts, but it had like soy lecithin in it, which mm-hmm. is an emulsifier. So then it is your normal peanut butter texture, but it still is 100% peanuts. So oh, perfect. it depends if you just want that emulsifier in it, which there is a lot of mixed sort of, I don't know, my dad, who's a gastroenterologist, doesn't like emulsifiers. Yeah, so. it's tough, you know, because like it's the dose makes the poison. So if yeah. you're having a tiny bit of emulsifier in your little serving of peanut butter, life goes on, you're still perfectly fine. Um, as long as you're not like, you know, gulping down emulsifiers, you're probably in the clear. But yeah, hopefully that answers your uh, peanut butter question. So this next question, this one I think was pretty interesting. It says, hypothetically, does anything you ingest have calories, even stuff that isn't food? (laughs) (laughs) So Jack, if you were to eat this podcast mic right now, you know, (laughs) and uh, totally ruin our sound quality, would you get calories from this podcast mic? I think it depends on the the thing that you're ingesting. So I don't think the podcast mic would have any calories. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah. And I think a lot of it would just do you a lot of bodily harm. Mm -hmm. Like I think the more organic things would might have some calories, but because we've got to remember that even fiber, which is non like some of it's partially um, under partially digestible. Some of it is not digestible, but then it's fermented. So it depends on what it is. Like if I ate this chair, which is wood, 
then it might be fermented. <laughs> it might produce produce butyrate. Yeah, but you also might get a splinter in your small intestine. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Or if I blended it, that might be okay. Yeah, you know that you're really desperate for calories when you uh, start eating the furniture. But mm. hey, this question asker, he is in prep. So you know, it depends which phase, man. <laughs> He's getting deeper into prep now. So yeah, exactly. it's a normal question to ask. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> is my chair edible? Mm. Um, no, but we would, we would advise probably against that. But I think like one, I think there's two parts to this. One, yes, you can get calories from something as long as it has carbohydrates, protein, or fatty acids in it, right? Um, and it, but if I was to eat this podcast, Mike, this doesn't have carbs, this doesn't have protein, this doesn't have fats in it. You That's know? why I said organic. Yeah. Like, so, so I don't mean organic as in organically farmed. I mean mm-hmm. an organic substance. Yes. So like, like the, the chair, like the like wooden wood. chair. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but something like metal, like obviously you're going to get not even trace minerals. You're going to get like macro minerals. <laughs> um, no, but you're going to get a, a lot, lot of magnesium. Of, yeah, man, you're going to, and like, yeah, man, so you're going to get a hell of a lot of metal and a lot of plastic from, you know, eating something like a podcast mic or a TV or a computer, right? Um, but like, it also depends on what do you define as edible? Like, you know, I could go out to the garden and I could start eating leaves, right? And technically they're edible, but also I wouldn't necessarily classify that as food. Mm. But then you could argue like, well, what about tea leaves? You know, like if you want, you can swallow those. You might get some calories out of that. Um, but this actually makes me think about cast iron pans as well mm-hmm. and how you they actually fortify your iron intake as well. Yeah, cast iron is actually an awesome way to get iron into your diet. And is it awesome though? It is awesome. You know, like my grandparents, they've cooked with cast iron pans their entire lives and they've never had an issue. I'm not saying it's just the cast iron pans, but they've never had an issue with yeah. iron deficiency because when you think about it, if you're using a cast iron pan, right, you're constantly cooking, you're constantly getting trace amounts of iron into your food which is so freaking smart and my grandpa I just wouldn't recommend recommend it if you have high iron levels no obviously obviously not but I mean it is very clever um and when you think about it right iron is a natural thing it's it's something that we need in our diets it's that we need to thrive right it's absolutely essential but if you're using something like an aluminium pan you know how the pan wears down and you start getting those scrapes on Mm. the bottom which is why some people don't like teflon coated yeah because very very small amounts of that are going into your body so it's probably healthier for you to cook in something like a cast iron pan Although, you know, try cast- frying an egg though on a cast yeah, iron. Yeah, dude, you'll lose half the egg to the pan. It's <laughs> oh, you so need a, sad. You need a centimeter coating of olive yeah, oil. Yeah, so exactly. It's like, well, which one which one's healthier, you know? Like <laughs> the calories are consuming a little bit of Teflon or you want a little bit of trace iron. I fall somewhere poison. in the middle. And I also want to eat my eggs. So um yeah, that's a bit of a tangent. But that's actually something that they do. It's really smart. Do you remember in nutrition we watched that documentary on in third world countries where you know uh, actually getting iron in the diet can be quite scarce perhaps because they're following more vegetarian vegan diets kind of thing or they just can't eat a lot of animal products what they actually do is they cook a lot of soups but this uh, group of people they made this iron stone that actually looked like a fish and the fish was part of their culture and what they would do is they would put this uh, iron fish into their soups and they would cook the soups and mm. it would give trace amounts of iron into the soup which 
blew my mind. I think that is so freaking smart, you know? So that's right up there with iodizing salt. And, oh, it's um, iodizing awesome. Soup. Iodizing soup, ironing. You can iron your soup. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, going back to that question, pretty much something needs carbs, protein, and fats with it to actually get calories. Um, anything other than that, you're probably just wrecking havoc on yourselves. And luckily, we live mm. in a food environment where actual calories are in abundance so <laughs> don't don't try and lick your cast iron weight plates either yeah no <laughs> no no you might pick up a corona or two yeah exactly all right so <laughs> move on to another topic so this one says what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue nutrition and dietetics so the first thing i'd say is you want to make sure it's something you're very passionate about because at the end of the day the the number of jobs for especially dietetics it's not it's not skyrocketing mm-hmm. because you basically have options for clinical versus like private practice basically and clinical would be more so like in the hospital or maybe doing something like food service as well and obviously private practice is like running your own small business working for someone else like working at a allied health professional center or something like that gp practice and yeah, it's not, we're not like the most high, high paid earning. We're not doctors or anything. So we're, we're akin to like things like physios, speech pathologists, mm-hmm. stuff like that, podiatrists. So just make sure you're passionate about it, first of all, because you don't want to do like four and a half to five years at uni and become a dietitian and then realize, okay, I can't find a job now mm-hmm. because that's, that's the reality of what it is for a lot of newly graduated dietitians. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, like passion is everything. And I just think it's one of those areas where like if, if you're not passionate about it, if you're not interested in it, if you're not actually putting what you're learning into practice, like... I would highly suggest finding another avenue, you know, because we did go through uni with a lot of people who you kind of question, like, are you lost? (laughs) Like, well, like, why, why are you studying this course? Because, you know, although you're taking the tests and you're showing up to lectures, you know, it doesn't seem to me that you have any interest in actually applying all of these wonderful things we're learning about nutrition and health and exercise to your own life. So yeah, that's mm. number one passion and, uh, be prepared to work hard, you know, cause just like you said, like there's not just jobs flying out from around the corner, you know, like you have to put in a hell of a lot of work to actually go out and get a job, which is like that for a hell of a lot yeah, of, of professions, course. of course, but it's also really important that you know what you're interested in. And if you can, it, it is certainly beneficial if you do try to have a niche, you know, have a certain area. Because nutrition is so broad, right? There's so many different things you can do, so many different things you can be passionate about. But as you're going through your studies, really try to tune into, okay, you know, what am I really drawn to? What am I really passionate about? Which area do I really want to specialize in and help people? Because it certainly is awesome to have a niche, hence the bodybuilding dietitians. <laughs> we got a niche. So this is actually a great point to mention that we're affiliated with Sports Nutrition Australia. And they're a company that basically allows you to become a certified sports nutritionist, which is really valuable. And it is quite different to going a, through a university degree. So the benefit of this is it's a more fast-paced version of learning the fundamentals of sports nutrition. So if you want to help 
people, athletes with their nutrition, then this is a great way of being able to do that without going through university. Because obviously with university, we did our undergraduate in exercise and nutrition sciences. That was a three-year degree. And then we did a 1.5-year master's on top of that to become dietitian. So that's four and a half years in total. So for example, with Sports Nutrition Australia, you can do the certification in applied sports nutrition, and that takes about 12 to 17 weeks. So this gives you a really good taste of whether you like it. And what you can even do is do this alongside your bachelor. And by the end of it, you should have a good idea of whether whether or not it's for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's certainly an awesome thing to pursue if you, you know, you really want a taste of what's in this industry. And what's awesome about Sports Nutrition Australia undergoing that course is that Everything you learn is very specific to health and fitness and body composition change, right? Because certainly like university will always be number one, you know, one that's, it is going to give you the greatest depth of Mm. knowledge. You know, you're really going to have, you're going to learn all of your absolute fundamentals down to the cellular level, you know, your biochemistry and your biology and your advanced exercise phys. So University is certainly always going to be number one, and it's also going to give you the highest credentials to have a bachelor degree, to have a master's degree. But most certainly, if you really, if you're like a personal trainer, right, and one you don't necessarily want to go to university, but you still certainly want to specialize and develop your skills and your knowledge in terms of sports nutrition, this would be the second best thing. And actually be certified to give out nutrition advice because personal Mm -hmm. trainers can't give out advice. Yeah, they exactly. Can, yeah, they can say this. Yeah, I'm not even going to go there, yeah. actually. <laughs> We're not going to say what you can say. <laughs> but yeah, that's a great point because there are a lot of people out there with their cert three and fours in fitness who are, you know, giving people like what seems to be detailed nutrition advice and writing meal plans, you know, and but taking control of what they're putting into their body when they're not actually certified to do that. Mm. And like, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but in most cases you haven't actually gone through the studies and the education to actually understand you know and actually be able to help and coach people in that space so absolutely sports nutrition australia if you don't want to go through the university path that's certainly the second best option to really get a solid understanding of sports nutrition and like you said also be certified and also be insured as well yeah. Yeah. So you can find them, of course, just by searching them mm-hmm. by Google. They're on Instagram as well. We also did a interview with Alex Thomas, who is the president of Sports Nutrition Australia. So you can cycle back to that episode if mm-hmm. you want to check him out. Yeah, absolutely. So Sports Nutrition, they have that certificate. They have their graduate diploma and they also have their master's in applied sports nutrition. And then What's actually really cool is they've actually just added on an additional course called the Physique Contest Prep Accreditation. So that pretty much allows you to become a certified and credentialed comp prep coach. And that's actually only just started in this past year. And Jack and I have actually just gone through that course ourselves, you know, and it's pretty much been created by Alex Thomas, Brandon Kempter, Kyle Weber, Joey Cantlin, others in this area right jps health and fitness too and uh 
Pretty much that allows you to become a certified comp prep coach. And you can do that as well on top of these other degrees Mm. with Sports Nutrition Australia. And what's actually pretty exciting is that Jack and I have been offered the career opportunity to actually come on board and help run this course. So actually teach other coaches how to become comp prep certified coaches. So that's certainly amazing, you know, and that's certainly something that we are pursuing now, you know, and we'll certainly continue to pursue for the coming years. But yeah, definitely more details to come, but it's a pretty freaking incredible career opportunity that we've been offered. And man, I'm just really excited to get on board and uh, see what the future holds and just, you know, really start helping people because that's that's what we love, right? We love being in this space and we love educating. And I feel like that's this, that's the next step for us. Yeah, it's a really detailed course and it really does tell you every step of the process in terms of a comp prep to basically achieve your, achieve the athlete's best and not only achieve the look for the stage, but also making it as evidence-based and as healthy as possible for that individual. So mm-hmm. of course we'll be, our main dedication will still be to our coaching and our clients, mm-hmm. but this will definitely be something to pursue on the side as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, um, yeah, guys, I guess that's a little bit of a teaser, but certainly more on that to come. But for now, let's continue this podcast and the questions. So this next one says fast digesting carbs pre and post workout fact or myth. So fast digesting carbs after your workout is just one of those things that it sounds really nice. Theoretically, it makes a lot of sense, just like having a protein shake right after your workout. It's just one of those things that, okay, if I eat fast digesting carbs, I'm going to absorb them faster. I'm going to recover faster. I think a lot of people say it though, without actually knowing what it means. Like, okay, you've had some fast digesting carbs after your workout. What does this actually mean? Mm -hmm. And most people will just look at you a bit blankly, like they... I don't know, does it enhance your recovery? Does it refill your glycogen stores faster? Mm -hmm. All those sorts of things. Are you going to build muscle faster because of it? And in reality, it doesn't, it's not as much of a change as people might expect. Mm -hmm. Like we got to look at it in the bigger picture. So if you're training once a day and you have a solid like, like 18 to 24 hours in between each workout, we don't need that. We're not as urgent for that increase in fuel as say like a a marathon athlete or an Ironman athlete who is, I don't know, waking up the next day and going for another marathon or like a 200 kilometer bike ride or Mm. even even a soccer player who's doing like a round robin tournament who um, has a game another six hours later or something like that. They're going to be a lot more dependent on those fast digesting carbs in order to replenish their glycogen Mm. stores. Whereas someone who is training once a day, we have more than enough time to even with you can eat brown rice after your workout and still digest it and absorb it for the next day mm-hmm. compared to something like dextrose. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I think there's that there's that crossover, right? Between, yes, it's sports nutrition, but a lot of the things that we know about sports nutrition and to enhance recovery and to enhance performance, right, is specifically for athletes, especially who are training like twice a day, right? And this is, this is their life, you know? Like training is the top priority and recovery is the top priority. Um, so you need to refuel. So I think there's that crossover between what's optimal for like an elite level athlete versus what's optimal for a gen pop person who's training three times a week, you know, mm. and trying to lose a little bit of weight. So there's that crossover. So 
I guess, you know, yes, if you are an elite level athlete and you're training twice a day, then yes, it would be strategic from a performance point of view, from a recovery standpoint, you know, trying to maximally synthesize, resynthesize glycogen stores uh, to actually have faster digesting carbohydrates pre and post workout, you know? Um, so having something like a Gatorade and a protein shake, that's certainly going to be digested and absorbed and you know get that glucose into your muscles a hell of a lot faster if you were to sit down to you know a couple boiled potatoes a big steak and some asparagus right like that might not be the most strategic thing to do if you're gonna go on a run in in another four hours Mm. right but the majority of people aren't elite level athletes and that's why it's okay to look at the broader context of things and also if you're not an elite level athlete it's not just about you know that uh just about refueling and performing for that one session like you're looking at your entire lifestyle and and how you feel across the broad spectrum of a day right like if you're trying to lose some weight right um if you have a Gatorade and a protein shake straight after your workout, that's not really going to help satiate you very much. You know, you might get a spike in your blood sugar levels and then you might come back down. You might not have sustained energy levels for the next few hours. So you have to think about these things too, right? And uh, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. And the other point to consider as well, just like any of these minutiae details, just like taking creatine or I don't know supplement supplementing with beta alanine is are you doing the fundamentals right as well mm-hmm. like if you're getting less than seven hours of sleep and you're worried about slow versus fast digesting carbs then <laughs> I can guarantee you try getting eight hours of sleep a night and that'll make a hell of a lot more difference <laughs> than worrying about carbohydrate choices exactly I couldn't agree more and we just posted a nutrition related post on our TBD Instagram page talking about supplements right and The point that we made there is that supplements are only going to provide you an advantage by maybe one to 3%, right? They might increase your endurance or your power or your strength or your recovery, you know, lower rate of perceived exertion by one to 3%. But if you aren't nailing the other 97 to 99% of the fundamentals, so that's adequate nutrition, you know, getting enough energy for your goals, having a high quality nutritious diet, getting enough sleep, actually consistently training, managing your stress, right? Like if you're not nailing those, just like you said, don't worry about supplements. Stop stop worrying about, you know, do I need to buy a tub of pure carbs, right? If I'm actually only hitting the gym twice a week kind of thing. So focus on the bigger picture. But yeah, certainly don't need fast digesting carbs. That's the thing. But we can still think about peri-workout nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. So still having your pre and your post-workout meal within at least four to six hours of one another. And, you know, in each one of those meals, you want at least anywhere between 20 to 40 grams of protein. If you wanted to get really specific, it's like 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram of body weight of a high biological value protein source. For carbohydrates, you know, it's going to vary depending on what your total macros are, how much you weigh, but I'd say a nice happy medium is at least around one gram per kilogram of body weight in that meal. So you want that for your pre and your post-workout meals. So if you're going closer to that four hour window, that would be if you did consume something that was 
faster digesting. So hence, if you prior to your workout, if you did have a Gatorade and a protein shake, you know, that is going to be digested a lot faster than some asparagus, some potatoes and a steak, you know, but if you do have asparagus, potatoes and a steak, right, then you probably have closer to that six hour window because man, if you eat, you know, and then an hour later you go train for an hour or two, that's still only a three hour window. You know, by the time you were eating again, if you ate straight after that workout, you know, that food is still in your stomach, dude. Mm. Yeah. You're just piling yeah. it on top. <laughs> yeah. If it, if it gives you guys any consolation about fast digesting carbs, like Tierra and I both choose slower digesting foods post-workout mm-hmm. and... Like we both have like wholemeal flour post-workout. Yeah, <laughs> I love fruit. me some wholemeal flour and fruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I have, yeah, I have ice cream with that, but overall <laughs> it's a probably fairly low GI. <laughs> yes, exactly. And what always gets me is, you know, the whole thing with the anabolic window, you know, like you need a protein shake right after you finish your workout, you know, like you finish your last set of bicep curls and you have to skull that protein shake. Otherwise, you know, you miss your window of opportunity and you won't grow or something like We have to remember that guys, the body doesn't necessarily know like exactly when you officially stop working out, right? Like how, how is it actually supposed to know, you know, like Mm -hmm. sure you finish your last set of that workout, but then what if you walk home, you know, Mm -hmm. Jack and I both, when we're training at world's gym Brisbane, we both walk home, which is like a 10 to 15 minute walk or something. Technically we're still exercising but we're not lifting weights anymore but like our body doesn't really know that it doesn't like have a clock inside it like tick 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 you better get some protein in me right now Mm. um to put it on a more biological scale i guess so basically when we're training something called the sympathetic nervous system is elevated Mm -hmm. and that's basically the flight or fight response so most of our blood flow is going into our exercising muscle away from our digestive tract so if you try and eat something directly after you train when the sympathetic nervous system is high it's not going to be as efficient as when your heart rate is lower you're more so in that parasympathetic nervous system state which is rest and digest and you'll probably digest and absorb your food a lot better than if you're like imagine running away from someone and trying to eat <laughs> at the same time it, your body to your body it's the same because you're you're in your sympathetic nervous system is elevated uh-huh yeah i i know what you mean so um yeah that's another really good point but yeah hopefully hopefully we did you know answer your question so yeah, uh, pretty much as long as you get carbs and protein in, enjoy mm. what you eat and think about the broad spectrum of the day. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, if you're training twice a day, then maybe the faster acting carbs might be better. Mm. Or if you're, uh, I don't know how many runners or how many football players, soccer players, team sport players we have, but mm-hmm. for you guys, if you do train twice a day or any swimmers, then it's probably a different story for you guys. Yeah. But most, most people are resistance trainees doing once a day training or even sometimes like three or four days a week. So they might even have a day between the training sessions. So there's nothing to stress about. Yeah, you are all good. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna answer one more question today. Now, this one might be a little bit explicit, but hey, we were warned when we became dietitians that we're gonna talk about poop a hell of a lot more than we would have ever expected, but it's pretty much asking if your body isn't digesting the food that you eat completely and it's coming out in your poop, does that mean that you're not absorbing the nutrients and the calories from that food? Mm. So first of all, I'll be 
I would be less concerned about absorbing it and more concerned about why the hell are you pooing out whole food? Yeah. Uh, unless it's something like corn, which is... <laughs> corn is a flipping <laughs> culprit, man. <laughs> there's a few foods out there that are culprits. You know, there's like, there's corn, there's flax seeds, mm. um, there's onions. Blueberries. Blueberries. <laughs> Anything with, which is coated in skin, I guess, like, yeah. which is insoluble. So and, Or raisins or like anything that you can be, if you don't chew it properly, you're just susceptible to swallowing a few mm. whole. But maybe this, this is what... Those instances are what the question asker is mm. asking about. But if, say, you eat a steak and you see a chunk of steak in your poo, mm-hmm. then that's something's going on with your enzymes, like your pepsinogen, which is basically responsible for digesting proteins mm-hmm. in the stomach. Yeah, and hydrochloric acid as well. So, yeah, yeah get that checked out if you're pooping out a steak. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, basically things like the corn or flax seeds, blueberries, like, you're not going to be ingesting the full amount of calories Mm -hmm. if any really yeah exactly so but that's the thing as well you have to remember that if you go to the bathroom and you see a little bit of corn in your poop right like you have to remember that you probably ate a whole corn cob and i doubt there's a whole corn cob worth of corn Mm. in that poop so you might see a few little bits but (laughs) you probably did you were able to you know get the nutrients out of most of that corn but some kind of just escaped right but this actually comes back to guys the very first part of digestion is mastication in the mouth what did you say (laughs) i said mastication all right (laughs) jack (laughs) mastication (laughs) in the mouth (laughs) don't get that confused guys okay um whoa (laughs) mastication in the mouth okay uh but that's chewing your food so remember chew your food properly you know actually take the time to properly chew your food you don't want to just take a bite and shovel things down and swallow things and i know as a kid you know well i know that i used to I, I don't even know if you'd call this a game, but you'd be like, hey guys, watch this. And like, you know, you could swallow a whole grape or something. Um, don't do that. <laughs> you do that in front of the boy you like? <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I'd really try to impress him by swallowing <laughs> grapes. <laughs> oh God, where is this question going? Um, chew your food, guys. <laughs> Take the time. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. When you have these foods that, you know, it is harder for your body to break them down then, you know, put in a little bit more effort to really chew them up. So those things like corn, you know, those things like nuts and seeds. And then when it gets into your body, it doesn't have to work quite as hard, you know, to still break them down. But even the things like, think about, I'm I'm always referring back to corn, but remember corn, it has that skin on the outside. So it's like, would that be the hull? But But with corn, it's quite soft. But then you've got the starchiness on the inside. You might just not be digesting the hull because that's predominantly where the fiber is, but more of the starch is on the inside. So you might have been able to break down some of that starch. So yeah, Mm, we can think about that. Maybe, maybe we'll have to look up our our corn science. (laughs) But I guess the other aspect of this question is the more serious note is basically the pancreas is responsible for releasing a lot of enzymes that do digest aid in the digestion of like carbohydrates more so carbohydrates most protein is broken down in the stomach Mm -hmm. and like so if you are basically if you can see whole portions of carbohydrate which would usually be digested Mm -hmm. and absorbed then 
that's more cause for concern and you should get that checked out. Yeah, like carbohydrates start being broken down in the mouth. You know, that's how much the body loves mm. and it wants to get Salivary glucose. amylase. Yeah, yeah, you've got amylase in there. And then you've also, even not from the pancreas itself, but even your brush border enzymes, you know, on your small intestine, there's all these brush border enzymes on the villi there that help to break down, you know, uh, carbohydrate containing foods, fatty acids, proteins, and like if you, for example, were a celiac, right? And uh, you couldn't consume gluten because gluten was causing inflammation. It was actually causing flattening of those villi and then you couldn't properly absorb food, right? That's a huge issue as well. Mm. But I'd say if something like this is actually happening, one, you're like, no, I'm definitely chewing my food properly. And consistently I find that I'm actually just, you know, whole chunks of stuff is coming out. And also you're just not feeling your best too. I would certainly- So for example, if you saw like some, something that's like, you would definitely usually digest like let's say i don't know a pasta spiral Mm -hmm. a white pasta spiral yeah if you saw that then yeah i would be questioning that yeah exactly so yeah and it's also about transit time too like usually you're probably just really sick If, if you find that you're consuming something and then like you know within the next half an hour you can see it out the other end like get these things checked out you know like don't hesitate to go to your doctor get a referral to see a gastroenterologist or a dietitian because this is really serious you know like we eat food in order to extract the nutrients and the nutrition from that food so it's so so important mm. yeah yeah and just to disclaim we're not giving out any personalized mm-hmm. advice here this is just our thoughts on the question so if you are having any issues then go see your gp or a dietitian absolutely only piece of advice is just chew your food yeah Yeah, and don't swallow whole grapes (laughs) okay so that is the final question of the day but as we always finish on each episode one thing that we learned this week so jack what did you learn this week so i actually learned something interesting that i have no experience with any combat sports or anything Mm -hmm. but I stumbled across this piece of information which basically said that enhanced basically athletes who do participate in like combat sports are like, mm-hmm. I don't know, about are significantly harder to knock out, which mm-hmm. I mean is to be expected, but apparently it's because of the amount of muscle they develop like on their trap and neck region. Yeah. Man, well, that makes sense, right? Because, mm. <laughs> boy, if you've got more muscle in that area, you can really take a hard hit and a blow. Yeah. Man, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end, like the other side, getting <laughs> hit by one of these people. Yeah, because if you think about it, it does kind of completely change the whole tactics of, mm-hmm. of a game of, I don't know whether boxing is called a game, but mm-hmm. a sport. It's a sport, yeah. yeah. Yeah, people compete. Yeah, so you might like take a big hit and then, then when someone thinks you're going to be staggering around, you... You come back faster. <laughs> Can't get me, man. I'm still here. I'm still standing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember when we found that out too, I was like, that makes so much sense. And whoa, there's a certain group of people I don't want to be in a fight with. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm definitely not. A, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I don't think I've ever been in a fight mm-hmm. in my life. I don't want that to happen. But uh, yeah, an interesting piece of information. Maybe mm-hmm. some of you found it interesting as well. Yeah. But anyway, what did you learn this week, Tiara? Okay, so what I learned, I learned something again from Dr. Carl. So um, again, I think I mentioned this last week, right? The Triple J podcast with Dr. Carl, Science Hour. But what I actually found out is that if you fell through the earth, like let's say that you fell from the North Pole to the South Pole. Yeah, just hypothetically, of course. (laughs) If you fell from the North Pole to the South Pole, you would be falling for 38 minutes. 
Can you imagine flying? I thought when you when you told me this, I thought from the crust to the middle of the earth, but it's from one side to the other. Yeah, from one side to the other of the earth, 38 minutes of falling. And you think about, you you know, when you go to amusement parks, right? And uh, like, what's that one at Dreamworld? It's like the, the Tower of Terror. The Tower of Terror, you know, or wherever. The giant drop, of course, the giant drop. But the giant drop, how, it's probably only a few seconds, right? Mm. A few seconds no, it's, compared yeah, it's to... probably like one second. 38 well, minutes of falling. Well, I think skydiving would obviously be the most... Yeah. And I think thing. someone else asked a question there, like, would you would you die from the fall or would you die when you um, hit, you know, the ground? Mm. And I'm pretty sure you said you don't actually die from the fall. Because, and I guess that kind of makes sense. Like you said, skydiving, right? People don't die when they're up in the air skydiving. And man, whenever I'm like on a plane, I always look out of the window and I don't know why I think this, but I'm like wow, imagine if I was standing on the top of this plane and like I just like I just jumped off and just started falling. Like I've always thought, would I die while I'm falling or would I die when I hit the ocean? So um, <laughs> apparently I die when I hit the ocean. I'd be falling for a hell of a long time. But yeah, 38 minutes. But um, Jack, do you actually know how to remember the different points of a compass? So like north, east, southwest? Never eat soggy wheat things. <laughs> That's what I thought you'd say. In Australia, yeah, I learned it's never eat soggy wheat bix, but in Canada and America, you know, we say never eat soggy wieners. So mm. I think that's a cooler version to remember. <laughs> wiener remember, dogs. No, 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 like wiener hot dogs. Wiener hot dogs, like yeah, yeah, a sausage. So never sausage eat, dog. Never eat a soggy one of those. Never eat soggy wieners. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this has been an interesting episode, but let's wrap it up. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and hope you enjoyed those questions that we answered. If you ever want to ask us any other questions, please don't hesitate to DM us on our TBD Instagram, or we put out question polls each week on all of our profiles. But otherwise, if you enjoyed the episode, please remember to repost it onto your Instagram story. Tag myself, tag Tierra, tag TBD. Don't hesitate to leave us a review on iTunes as well, and we'll catch you guys next week. See you later, guys.